Amen. All right. Thank you, Zach. That was really good, huh? Man, praise the Lord. And we're, and we're talking about Revelation, and I kind of get this picture of um, Revelation almost being like just the moment we just had where people are just like praising the Lord. And it's not going to be all just praising the Lord, uh, you know, like it will be all praising the Lord, but not all singing praising the Lord, you know, we'll be doing it in some different ways. But I kind of get the picture of Revelation, and Revelation seems like a really scary book to some people. Is there anybody like the book of Revelation kind of scares them a little bit? You get kind of nervous about it? Yeah, I'm sure there is. But Revelation is a pretty unique book in that it's the only book that comes with this blessing if, if you read it. You know, it says, blessed are those who read the book of Revelation. And so we've been going through this series, going through the, um, going through Revelation. John's been teaching on it the last couple of weeks, and I and I I love the book of Revelation. It's my favorite book, in, in fact. I love it. It's the only book that comes with its own outline. Revelation one nineteen. If you just go there, it's got this. Um, it's got its own specific outline to the book. So some people get really scared by Revelation. I get really excited about Revelation because there's a couple things that, like Revelation, just does it, it does in me. You know, I think it's expressed the best by. Um, um, I, I was hearing Francis Chan speak one time. I was here and. Uh, and Francis Chan was talking to his grandmother. I believe he was raised by his grandmother. And Francis Chan said, hey, Grandma, this is like she's getting uh, up later in years. She was like, I think they wanted to go to a Disney movie or maybe just like the opera or something like that. Something real simple, real pure, you know. Um, but they were like, hey, let's go see this. And then his grandmother thought about it for a, uh, for a minute. And she turned to him and she said, no, nah, I don't think I'm going to do that. I don't think I'm going to do that. And... It's like, Grandma, why? You know, why don't you want to go? And he's like, I just don't know that that's something I would want to be doing if the Lord were to show up tonight. Would he find me at like a Disney movie? You know, and she and that was her genuine cry of her heart. You know, like I'm not I'm not condemning Disney movies. Uh, I uh, haven't seen a whole lot of Disney movies. They're probably great, but uh, but. That, that was Francis Chan's grandmother's heart was this anticipation that she wanted to be found doing what the Lord had called her to be doing, and she wasn't going to do anything else. That's kind of what Revelation does for me, is it builds this anticipation, this readiness that the Lord could show up at any moment, at any point during this time. I may not even make it through this service, and he could show up, and, and we go up to meet him in the clouds. That he could pull us up there. And, and so I get super excited about Revelation uh, and working through Revelation because it builds this anticipation in me that, like, I may not make it through it today. And for some of you, that may be, like, a good thing. And then some of you may be like, I, I want to get married, you know, I'll have kids, all this stuff. Um, first, the Lord hold off. But I, I hope by the end of the day, we've got a little bit more anticipation. So I'm going to work through kind of revelation, some parts of it kind of loosely. But first, I'll start off with a question. If you really believed that the Lord was going to show up today, and uh, that he might show up today, or that he was going to show up today, how would that change your life? How would that change your life? Would be, there be some, uh, some ways you would think differently, maybe? Like if you truly believe that Jesus is, you're going to hear that trumpet in a, in a, in a, um, by the end of today, would it change your life? Would you worry about tomorrow? You probably wouldn't. You would, your focus would be kind of on today. Would you love your family a little better? You probably would. You know, there'd probably be a little less drama. Uh, uh, would you minister to those who are in need in restoration? 
to be met, you know, who need to know Jesus? You probably would. Uh, would you evaluate your own life and, uh, and then spend some time getting right with the king? You may very well do that. And so there's all these different things. Like if you believed, actually believed that the Lord was going to show up today, that your life may look a little bit different um, as a result. But Jesus was constantly, while he was on this earth, saying, hey, be ready for me. I may show up at any moment here. I may come back. I'm coming back. He would say things like, stay awake. Don't be caught sleeping. Uh, he would say, um, uh, don't be caught off guard because you'll be like a thief who comes in the night. I'll be like a thief who comes in the night. And if you're not ready, you know, you may get robbed or, or left behind. I don't know, the cheesy phrase. Um, but to keep your eyes open, he used all these terms. Jesus says um, to anticipate, to be ready for him to come at any moment of the day. And here's, here's the only thing that we have really clearly in Romans 11.25. You don't need to turn there. Is that, um, is that he says, in the fullness, when the fullness of the Gentiles comes, then that's when he's going to show up. And what does that mean? See, he's basically saying there's one last person who needs to get saved, and then the church is going to be complete, and I'm going to take them home to be with me. So, there may be some of you in here um, there, uh, who have said, nah, I'm not getting saved yet. What are you waiting for? Because um, I'm ready to go home to be with Jesus. So if you just get saved, we might get out of here. You know, so, um, so we're just waiting on you, really. Um, so if you'd hurry this thing up, um, we may get out of here. So but, uh, uh, so, but once that last person comes to the Lord, it seems like we're going to get called out of here. This place, uh, the church will be complete, and we get, to get, we get to go up to be with Jesus. And so it could happen at any moment. I strongly believe that. First John 3, 2 says this. 1 John says, First uh, John 3, 2, I like this. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we'll, we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Lord, I just pray that um, uh, your return would be speedy. And quick, and maybe that you'll show up even before this service is over. I hope for that. My heart truly hopes for that. I long to be reunited um, with you. I, I long for you to show up on the scene and make things right, too. Lord. And, and so, Lord, I, I long to be revealed for who I'm going to be in you. And so, Lord, I pray for your speedy return. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So 1 John 3, 2 really uh, speaks about Jesus' uh, return and that one day when he shows up in a twinkling of an eye, what's going to happen? We're going to be changed, right? And we're going to look more like Jesus. And, and that the anticipation of that, the readiness of that, actually um, changes, creates this anticipation in, within our own hearts that we have this desire to begin that process even now, that we have this desire to um, purify our own lives. So this, this doctrine that's really been lost in the church, that, that, uh, that Jesus could show up at any moment and that one day we're going to be made like him, has really been lost in a lot of ways. And, 
in it, but this doctrine really has this purifying effect in our lives. It has, this, it has this ability to say, hey, when Jesus shows up, I'm going to be made like him, so I'm going to start, why not just start this process now? I get the chance to be in the eternal now. But I would go back, I would want to go back to the question I asked. If you knew Jesus was going to show up at, um, at the end of the day and that he was going to uh, um, appear at any moment, um, I think in your own mind, what were some of the things that you were thinking of? Like, the, you, maybe you're not ready. Maybe there are some things that you need to take care of first. There are some things that um, I, I'm, I'm not aware, uh, or that I'm not um, ready for the Lord to show up because I haven't personally been living things right. So, uh, this really tells our heart. That question really tells our heart. Because either you put yourself in a, a morality-based System in which you're saying, uh, there's sin in my life. I don't want Jesus to show up and see the sin that's hidden in my life. Or you're on the other hand where you, you understand your identity in Christ. And, it, and you're aware of who you are in Christ and it doesn't matter if he shows up or not. So this is really revealing to your heart. Because you're either in the one place of, hey, I'm not ready, I'm not ready, or you found yourself caught in Jesus' identity and know who your identity is in Jesus, and he can show up at any moment and it'll be okay. And so I'll explain this today in a, in a, in a, um, in just a, uh, a picture that we get. Um, in Jewish traditions. I'll explain it in a picture so that we understand a little bit better of our identity and who we are in Christ. The best picture that we really have of our identity is a wedding, right? We understand, and this is kind of weird for guys to say, but we're the bride of Christ. Ephesians 5, 25 through 27 talks about this. But guys struggle with saying, hey, listen, uh, you know, I'm a bride. Go ahead and say it. You're going to wear a wedding dress one day anyway. Um, all, all these guys will in here. And uh, the women are really excited about that, right? No, you won't wear a wedding dress, I don't think, you know. But in a sense, you very well will. But um, we are the bride of Christ. And there's going to be this marriage that takes place. And it's, uh, it's going um, to be just this, this um, unlike any celebration that you've ever seen before in your life. It's going to be just this amazing celebration that Revelation begins to talk about, but all of Scripture. But we really have lost clarity about what this wedding looks like because our weddings look so much different than what weddings used to be. So I'm going to go through the picture of a Jewish wedding and what a Jewish wedding looked like uh, in the old days, like even uh, different than what a Jewish wedding looks like nowadays. And it'll give you a clearer picture of your identity in Christ and why this anticipation should begin to build in you even now. A Jewish wedding is really broken up into three parts. Um, and here's the, here's the other thing for, for you college students. Whenever I talk to college students, um, like, they're nervous about the Lord showing up. Why? Why are you nervous? Why do you not want the Lord to show up? Because you want to get married, right? Let's all be honest. You want to have some babies first. You want to experience those things a little bit. Well, here's the deal. You're going to your own wedding a better wedding than you'll have on this earth, so like, uh, don't worry about it, you know? You're gonna have a wedding with Jesus one day, and that sounds weird, but it'll be better than this. I'll show you, I'll show you in the scriptures, all right? So, 
um, a Jewish wedding was broken up into three parts. It was broken up into an engagement, a betrothal, which sounds really weird, but it's, uh, you'll understand it a little bit better once we're done, and then the, and then the actual wedding ceremony. And so, um, and so it really gives us this clear picture of our identity. So th- this Jewish wedding was, was a super interesting process, and it really started uh, um, before the birth of the child, even, who was going to get married. A lot of times in a Jewish wedding started the engagement process— actually started, this is the engagement process, what it looks like, is before the child was even born, when it was still in the womb, a lot of times the child was said, hey, if you have a daughter, you know, we really like your family, you're going you're gonna to marry this person. And so you had no choice in the matter. It's actually an arranged marriage. And so before, before the child was even born, and at latest, at latest, in Jewish, um, Jewish customs, you were an engaged woman by two or three. So women were actually engaged by two or three. Now that's kind of a crazy idea, right? In our culture, you know, you're like, I would never go for that. I would never have an engaged, uh, uh, a, a prearranged engagement. You know, um, that sounds kind of crazy to us, but I mean, you think about it and you may, you may actually change your mind. Um, like, Typically, you're picking your mate in your mid-20s when you're the most messed up. That makes a lot of sense. And so, and so you know, like, and some of you may have want a, uh, uh, an engagement, uh, a, a prearranged engagement, you know, where, hey, you know the person that you're going to marry um, before you're even born. That might be kind of nice for some of you. And so, and so the, uh, this was always... arranged beforehand the only case in which it wasn't arranged and this is kind of weird is if um if the if uh, uh, a husband died the the wife at that point got to go and choose one of the brothers to marry then the brothers had no choice in the merit in the matter so what you know that that sounds really strange and this is a different point altogether but this sounds really strange so the brothers of the bride would go and like check out the the um, the the woman that the brother is about to marry, and they say, "Hey, Dad, I don't know about this woman. You know, she's she's not too attractive or whatever." Say, "I, I think this is a bad idea." You know, and then they say, "Like, just get her out of here," it's because they may have to end up marrying her if if um, if the brother dies. So that was the only way. But so. Usually a girl was engaged by two or three in Judea, uh, Judaism. And the, um, the father of the groom would search out for, for a bride, and then they would agree. And uh, the picking of uh, marriage part, uh, partners was a far greater issue to be left up to young adults. That was kind of the, mind, uh, the mindset. Now I want you to catch this. This is important. Colossians 3.12 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly beloved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. But catch the first part. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. See, like, you know the passage, and you kind of know where I'm going to be going with this, is... Uh, I don't want to get into all of predestination or chosen or sovereignty of God, all those things, but we know this clearly in the scriptures, that you were chosen. You're an elect. Even from the time before you were born, the Lord has loved you. 
and he said, hey, that's for my son. You're for my son. And so from even early on in this uh, engagement process, or, or, or for us, is how we can understand it, is you have the identity of a chosen, of somebody who's elect, somebody who says, you're wanted by the Lord. That should mean a lot in your life, is that you're, you're elect and, and chosen. And so a, a Jewish couple, they, if they're, if they're um, in two different towns, they may, they may not see each other for, for their whole engagement process. But, but from the time they're a child, they know that they're, that they're set aside for somebody, that they're meant for somebody. And so, um, yeah, I'm thinking about, I've got two young boys. I'm thinking about, um, you know, setting up arranged marriages, you know, to save them a lot. I'll be taking applications in the back after church. Um, so, um, it, it, the next thing that we see coming up is by the time girls were actually getting married, by the time they're like 12 to 15 years old. Okay? That sounds kind of crazy. But Mary, Mary was probably at the oldest 15 when she was married. But they would go through the betrothal process, which, which was actually the marriage process, or would actually signify that the couple is actually married at this point. But how did that work? So at 12 to 15, you would meet your mate for the first time. They would show up on the scene, and y'all would meet for the first time. And you would sit down at the negotiating table, all right? And at the negotiating table, you would determine a price for the bride, Okay, so it would, it would kind of depend on um, the, the bride's attractiveness, how, uh, you know, how much she's worth. I'm just saying, I'm just saying it would kind of depend on how hard she works. Um, how, you know, all these different things would kind of depend on, uh, on the bride's price. And, and they would come to a, an agreement on the price. Now catch this. What does Scripture say about you? 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, For you were bought with a price, so glorify God with your body. So, so the Lord actually says, listen, uh, if this is giving us a clearer picture of our own identity, the scripture says, and I like the way the NIV says it, it says, you were bought with a high price. You were bought with a high price. So you are worth something to the Lord. And we're going to see more of what that worth is. But you are worth something to the Lord. When they sat down, when, when the father sat down at the negotiation table to determine your betrothal price, he said, you are worth a high price. And I paid that price. Okay? So the price was often dependent, first of all, upon the father's wealth. If the father was really wealthy... If the father was really wealthy, he wouldn't, uh, he wouldn't um, want to be seen as a cheapskate, right? So he would pay a, high, a higher price. And then sometimes the worth of the bride, uh, it would be dependent upon the worth of the bride, which we already talked about, or the work of the groom. Sometimes the groom would work off um, his, his price, right? At which time the contract was set in the, and sealed, and the bride and the groom would sip from a cup of wine. At that point, they were legally married. 
you were legally married at that point once the contract was set. And, and, so, and then they'd split up from there for another period of time, all right? At that point, you were legally married, but catch this. Catch this. What does Scripture say about the price that was paid for you? You know this verse well, right? But maybe you just haven't put it together this way. John three sixteen. What was the price that God paid for us? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The highest price that God could actually pay for you was his son. That was the, the, the greatest, the most the precious thing that the Lord had was that he would pay for you. And, and a lot of times um, we may think of ourselves as um, the pretty sister who's worth a lot. But um, we're actually like the ugly sister. I hope you didn't know. I hope you know that. You know, it's like, um, but here's the thing. The Lord was willing to pay that high price for us. And here's, here's the deal. If somebody's like willing to pay a high price for you, you know, like, and, and, and you're the, you're, um, you were once like this, like, lowly person, right? You know, like, um, there's this old, um, old tale in, in the Middle East about the, 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 the most, I, I, I won't say, I don't, I want to be, I want to be nice, but this, this woman in a, in a town who wasn't valued a lot in these customs, in a similar type of wedding scenario. And, and there was only, there was only, um, the highest price somebody had paid for a bride was three cows. Okay, just put it at three cows. I don't know. But this wealthy suitor comes to town, right? This wealthy suitor comes to town, and he says, I, I choose her. I choose her. The person who's considered, uh, the woman who was considered the most lowly in the town. And, he, and he, he says, not only do I choose her, but I want to pay the highest price I possibly can, so I'm giving six cows for this person. And we begin to get a slight picture of what Jesus did for us. But not only does that take place, but the story continues on. It's, a, it's an old tale. It, the, the, this, this woman, she comes back, she comes back later on down the, the about a year later or so, and we see that suddenly she's the most, like, beautiful woman. She's walking straight. She's taking care of herself. You know, she's, she's proud. She's got confidence, finally. Why was she confident? Because she realized that she had been, she had been bought and paid for with a high price. She had been bought and paid for with a high price. And so the Lord says, listen, I'm giving my only son to buy you. You were bought with a high price. And so after this marriage uh, contract was arranged and the, um, and the debt had been paid off and this money would be kind of split up in different ways, but the groom would go and prepare what was called a little mansion onto his father's house. This is true. He would go and prepare a little mansion onto his father's house. While the bride would go and prepare a wedding dress. Um, sometimes the, well, the wedding dress was actually material that the groom had actually given to her. And so 
they would go off for a year. They're married at this point, but the, but the groom is like hammering away. He's hammering away. He's hammering away, you know, like building this extra room onto his father's house, right? And he's, and he's building, preparing. He's making ready for his, for his future wife, or now wife, actually, to come and live with him, actually. So he'd build this room. And, and neither, this is the crazy part, neither the bride nor the groom knew the, knows, knows the moment when he, it, the, the father is going to say, okay, now it's time to have a wedding. Neither of them knew their wedding date. Could you imagine, ladies, like not knowing your wedding date? Like that would be a little scary, you know? Um, but, but what would it cause, what would the anticipation in your life be like? You would say, I need to be ready at all times for this wedding that's about to take place. So, they, they, neither of the parties would know. The groom wouldn't know. The, the, uh, the, the, um, the, the bride wouldn't know. She wouldn't know when this wedding is about to take place, but they've got to prepare and make ready. So, the, so catch this. What does Jesus say? Jesus says in John 14, 2 through 3, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. I will take you to myself. Where, where I am, you may be also. So the Lord has said he's gone to prepare a place. I bought you with a high price. We have a marriage contract with one another. I'm coming back one day for you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. Make yourself ready for my return. Be ready. I'm preparing that place now. But then we know in Matthew 24, he says, But concerning the day and the hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. So the, the, the church doesn't know, the bride of Christ doesn't know, and neither does the Son, but they know that it's coming. They know that it's coming, so they prepare their hearts. They make themselves ready for this moment that's going to happen. Then, then in the town, and... Um, Rumors would begin to fly, okay? Rumors would begin to come around that, hey, the hammering is about to, is about to stop. This, this, um, this hammering, in, or this hammering is, is beginning to slow down. It would seem like in the town, they would begin to say, hey, your wedding may be coming up shortly because it looks like this room is almost finished. Your, your house is almost finished. They'd begin to say, hey, are you ready for this? This could come at any moment. Are you ready for the, the groom to show up? Are you ready for this wedding? And the rumors would begin to fly. Not only this, but, the, but um, almost all wed weddings were held after the harvest season in the fall. So they would know the season in which the Lord was going to show, or excuse me, whether the groom was going to show up. They would know the, they would know the season. And they would know that he's getting ready to show up by the season because... You know, it was always seemed to be around the fall that they would have weddings. The weather's nice, you know, the harvest season is done. Um, and, and the bride would begin to know something was going on. So she'd prepare herself. She'd say, I need to get ready for this thing that's about to take place. First Thessalonians 5 says, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brother, you have no need to have anything written to you. Because in Thessalonians, they knew the season in which the Lord chose up to return for his bride. In the same way, the Lord is saying, you, if, you're, if, if you know the Father's heart, 
you know the season in which I'm about to show up. You, can, you understand that, that, listen, the times are drawing near to when the Lord shows up in our midst to claim us for himself. The times are getting nearer and nearer. And then this would happen. This was the great moment when the father would announce, hey, it's time to have a wedding. It's time to have a wedding. And, and the groom would run and get ready and he'd get his wedding party around and they would go through the streets blowing a trumpet. It's time for a wedding. You know, I don't know if that's, I wish I had a trumpet here, you know. Like, that's a terrible trumpet. Um, tried my best. But they would go through the, they would go through the town just saying, hey, it's, the wedding is here. The wedding is here. And the bride, she would run to her father and her father would say a quick blessing over her. And then she'd put on her wedding dress and she would run out and meet the groom. She would run out and meet him. She was so excited. She had been living with anticipation. She had been waiting in readiness to go, to go be married, to meet her groom. And she would run out in the streets and she would meet him in that place. And wherever they would meet each other at, they would meet each other. It was typically at night. They would meet under the stars and because of, um, well, some old Jewish traditions. But they would meet under the stars and they would uh, gather under what's called a, ch- a chupa. Um, uh, you don't need to know what it is. It's a tent, basically. Um, and... And at that point, there would be no vows that would be read. It would just be the contract would be read. And at that point, they would be proclaimed as, um, as time for the wedding ceremony to actually begin. And, and so, this is what the Lord says in um, 1 Thessalonians four sixteen through 18. For the Lord himself, this gets me excited. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of a command. With the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord, therefore encouraging one another with these words. We're going to run out to the bride. We're going to meet him in the clouds. And that contract is going to be read. And we're going to be eternally with the Lord. And and we're called to encourage each other with these words. So um, this would begin the wedding process. And the wedding process is, is really interesting as well. And I don't want to get too specific with it, but the bride and the groom would go back to this, um, this man, uh, this little mansion, and they would, um, they would consummate their marriage there, uh, in front, uh, not in front, but outside, <laughs> uh, uh, was a cloud of witnesses. <laughs> Sounds really weird. This is how they did it in Jewish, in Jewish, and if if the bride had kept herself pure. The, the best man would, would shout out, they're married. Now, if she hadn't kept herself pure, they would take her out and stone her. And, um, or their divorce court was opened up the next day, and they would, uh, they would have a divorce right there. And so, because remember, they're already married. Now, that, that sounds kind of, kind of harsh. It is. 
Um, but there's this picture that's being, uh, that's being laid forth. Now, obviously, obviously, um, none of us are pure. None of us find ourselves pure. And the amazing thing about our groom is that he shed his blood for us. He covered us so that we would be fine pure. So we'll, one day we'll stand before the Lord as the Father officiates this marriage ceremony. You and I, as the church, as the bride of Christ, will stand before the Lord and they'll officiate this, this, this contract and, and it will say, is this bride pure, essentially, or something? I don't know exactly. I'm just, I'm just imagining. And, and it'll be said, yes. Jesus shed his blood so that I would be made pure. I'm spotless. Uh, like, I'm as clean as like a, a virgin, you know? I'll be seen as a virgin, pure, before the Lord. And, it, and, and all glory will go to Jesus. It'll be all about the groom at that point. And so, this gets even more interesting. So, what happens at that point is they go and they have a party for seven days. Seven days. And the, and the wife is tucked away back in this, this little mansion, and she doesn't have to do any work. And she, um, and, and what, what happens is, is that they have this little honeymoon, but there's this party for seven days in Jewish culture. So they spend this time, like, you know, you, you, you remember the story about the wine and how the wine run out, because the, the, it, it's seven days that, you know, that, that they are partying or whatever, and the wine ran out. So in heaven, we're going to have this extended period. You know, how, how long's the tribulation period? Seven years, right? We get called up right before, and then there's this party for seven seven years, it would seem. But at, at, the, at the end of the seven years, or the seven days, the, um, the bride is tucked away, and the, and, the, um, and the groom is serving her and just doing all these things, which seems absolutely amazing to me. You've got to catch this in Revelation 19.6. talks about this at the end of this. Then I heard what seemed to be a voice of a great multitude, like a roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and and give Him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and the bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for for fine linen is righteous deeds of the saints." And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers. You hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So, while the bride is tucked away, he would be continually like bringing her food. Like I think sometimes like one day I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stand before the Lord. Um, my judgment is going to be read out, you know. Um, and then I'm going to spend my time like serving the Lord at that point, right? That's maybe what you think as well. And there's part of that that's true. But here's the, the amazing thing about Jesus. Here's the amazing thing about Jesus. Is when he pictures you as his wife... He, he serves you. 
He says, no, I'm here to still serve you. Even in heaven, Jesus sees himself as a humble servant. Man, what love Jesus has for us. What the picture that he's proclaiming. And so, and so at the end of this seven-day period, he would come out and he would announce, here's, here's my wife. This is my wife. And he would proclaim her to the rest of the world. He would proclaim her to all those that are around. He would say, this is my wife that I've loved, you know, my beloved wife. And he would introduce her to, to um, uh, the, all the community as now his, his wife. And one day Jesus is going to do the same thing in this world. He's going to introduce us as his bride. And so, that was kind of a Jewish wedding. And so here's the... Here's the I hope this kind of changes your identity some. And the, and the band can come on up and play. We're almost done here. I'm going to read one more par- parable. But here's the thing. The, um, like, the anticipation that the Lord is building is really caught in your identity. Understand it this way. When I was in Ethiopia, when I was in Ethiopia for um, like 21 days or something like that, we were in Ethiopia, 22 days, Towards the end of that time, towards the end of that time, I was really starting to struggle. I was really starting to struggle, mostly because I was away from my wife, okay? I've got a, I've got a great wife. She loves me really well. Um, and, and at the end of that time period, I really was almost in borderline depression, okay? And it's not because... It's not because I was going to, like, sleep in bed all the time or whatever, you know. I wasn't, like, crawled up, like, crying my, my face out, whatever, type depression. It was just like, listen, I really miss my wife. And there was this anticipation building in me as the time grew closer to when I, uh, I was going to get to see my wife again. I was super excited about that. It was like one of the hardest times for my, uh, me and my, in my life. And, and, and what's that... What's that, um, why was that so hard for me? I mean, it was simply this, because I was missing part of me. I was missing part of who I'm meant to be. The anticipation and, and, the, and the readiness was simply there because I was ready to be completed once again in my life. And so, the anticipation and the readiness isn't born out of a place of moral obligation. Oh, I've got to purify my life. I've got to get ready. I've got to do this before the Lord comes. It's not that at all. It's I'm ready to meet Jesus, my groom. I'm ready to be completed. I'm ready for him to show up and make my life right. So we find ourselves somewhere in that betrothal stage where the price has been paid, but we're split up, you know, like he's off making a room for us to bring us back to himself. And, and we're back here saying, you know, like we're just ready in anticipation for the Lord to show up and to, and to be completed in, in, a, in our groom. And so we find ourselves, I'll read one last parable. Matthew 25. 
Matthew 25 says this. 25.1. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet their bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flask of oil with their lamps, and as the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom. Come out and meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since then will not be enough for us and for you. Go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. You know neither the day nor the hour. The Lord is going to show up in a moment. And here's where a lot of us find ourselves. Uh, uh, you know, it's, you may find yourself. I'm not ready for him to show up. I don't want him to show up. Maybe I'll get ready tomorrow. And if you're in that place, I would say, listen, you have no idea when he may show up, but here's the deal. You have a groom who's waiting for you to sit down at the table and do this contract to get it squared away. He's already paid the price. He's paid a high price because he loves you that much. He loves you that much. He paid the high price for you. And 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 so I would say, I would say to that person, listen, you know, you need to get it straight with the Lord. You don't know when he's gonna show up. You know? And then the other person maybe just lives without anticipation of the Lord. You know, like you you're just not in that place where um, you're you're kind of focused on other things right now. I would really just encourage you to to say, hey, listen, realize your identity in the Lord, that you've got a a groom who loves you dearly. And you're only going to experience the fullness of God, the, the fullness of what God intends for you, joined to Him. And He desperately desires, your your husband desperately desires that you would meet with him and prepare yourself. And, and, and one day you are going to be joined fully. But right now, as 1 John 3.22 says, or 3.2 says, we have the opportunity to begin to think about those things, to prepare our hearts. And, there's, uh, and he's given us this deposit of the Holy Spirit as a seal of that contract. And you have the opportunity to really get to know the Lord in this time. So you may say, like, listen, I just don't know the heart of the Lord all that much. I don't know the heart of the Lord. I don't know the heart of of the groom all that much. If we're going to be married one day, I might need to get to know him. (laughs) 
And so those two, those two people may be here today. And um, you have an opportunity. We've got all this stuff in the way just to come seek the Lord and meet him in this place. And um, he genuinely wants to meet you here and just kind of move around it if, as if you feel. And maybe you just want to sit in your seat and seek the Lord there. But I'm going to pray once again that this, the Lord's return would be quick. And I hope that it's changed in your mind. Not so much that... Um, not so much that we're worried about, hey, he may come up this time or this time, but that you're living with anticipation, living with a readiness that your identity would be found in Christ. Lord, we love you. Thank you for that. Man, thank you that you sent your only son that you would buy us back that you would choose us. That you would choose us even though we weren't worthy of the price that we were paid for. We've been bought with the blood of Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. May the bride make themselves ready. May we anticipate your return, Lord. May we live with the uh, readiness that Jesus could show up at any moment and say, come up here to me. Come meet with me. And throughout all of eternity, we'll be with Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that one day we'll be with you in eternity and the fullness of who we are will be... um, will be revealed as we're made like Jesus. Thank you for the groom. In Jesus' name we pray.